it's Arlen. It's Sunday, March 22nd, 2020. Thank you again for listening to the podcast. Today, I am so grateful and thrilled to welcome two people who have uh, been in my life for a few years now, and um, I am I had to call them for their expertise and for their thoughtfulness. Excited for you all to hear both of these interviews. This is a uh, corona-related situation, but I think you're going to get so much out of it. Um, the first up is Ed Zimmerman. He is one of our, he is leading our our legal team at Backstage at my fund. And he is um, just a great person. He's also, uh, uh, besides being an expert uh, legal mind. He is a an angel investor in several companies and an LP investor in several funds, which you'll learn more about what that means in this interview if you don't already know. I love this interview because it is for anyone who just wants to observe and kind of know what's going on in the thinking, but it's also really, really great tactical, really important, uh, timely information for founders and Fund managers, GPs. I know a lot of GPs and fund managers do listen to this podcast, and we usually talk from a point of view of of the founder or um, um, the customer. But I think uh, I wanted to make sure that you had some information here because we don't all, none of us have this all figured out, and and Ed had some great things to to give us insights on. The second interview will be directly followed by that. Will be Amy Nelson. She is the founder and CEO of The Riveter, um, which is a co-working spot that she will tell you about. Um, they have raised tens of millions of dollars. I think they raised $20 million last year or brought their total of $20 million last year. Um, she's been featured in Fast Company and, and multiple other places and uh it's a it's co-working for women and allies and actually backstage was at the riveter for several for almost two years i think in los angeles um just a, a great company and the reason i wanted to have amy on specifically right now is because she has four children under the age of six and they're um mostly at home right now so i wanted to talk to her about juggling being a founder uh, leading a team and also leading an army of of people at her home and see how she's doing. And she had some amazing things to say. I will tell you, it is just early. It's like 1.30 p.m. Pacific on Sunday. I just recorded both of these in the last two hours, less than two hours. Um, so this is very fresh off the presses, and I'm excited to give it to you. Another a little bit of a sacrifice for that speed uh, and the experimentation that I'm doing is that the sound quality isn't as what I'm used to and what I like to put out there and certainly not what Anna, my wife and uh, engineer and producer and editor would like to have. But so I want to give her a shout out. Thank you so much for letting me experiment here. Um, and I know you want to you want to get back at it. But this this way we can just have you can turn these around. So um yeah, I think I think it'll it'll do. You'll hear it, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna ship it. So hopefully this is helpful to you. Keep the comments going. Send me a, a voice message. I will continue to um, put these in as they come in. You can go to Anchor. FM backslash YFM for your first million. YFM 
backslash message and you can leave a verbal message that can be played on a future episode. All right, I'll talk to you all very soon. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Ed. Arlen. Yes, can you hear me? I can. How are oh, you? Great. Awesome. I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Awesome. Thanks for doing this. Sure. Um, let me just, this is the first time I've done it exactly like this. I'm just going to make sure I have this set up right. Okay. Um, well, I wanted to have you on, on the podcast because I have been doing, um, several episodes of past week and a half that are about coronavirus and, uh, running the gamut of topics and you are an expert at so many things that I think you might be helpful and you're you're also very humble so you're gonna not say you are but you are uh, and um, I thought maybe you could offer some um, advice I, and I'm happy to do the same I know you're you are um, looking for for that from the community as well so first can I say can we just kind of level set and tell people who you are sure um, this is Ed Zimmerman and I started um, and chair the tech group at Lowenstein Sandler. So we represent um, venture-backed companies, startups, growth companies, uh, and the venture and growth funds that invest in them. And <clears throat> we also represent them in the, in the M&A transactions as buyers and sellers, among other things. Um, uh, for the last 20 some odd years, I've taught um, and the last 15 of those have been teaching venture capital and angel investing in the business school in the MBA program at Columbia. And I do some writing for um, Forbes and as part of the panel of experts at the Wall Street Journal also on those topics. I'm based in New York and I'm also an active angel investor and have no medical or public health experience whatsoever. Yes. So yeah, when I when I talk about uh, coronavirus and expertise, I do not mean health. Uh, that's not going to be Ed or I, but or Ed or me. But um, when it comes to you having so much exposure to companies and just seeing things happen over the past several years, um, what is something? What are what are you finding and telling your founders that you've invested in that you um, that you consult that you teach? What are you telling them should be kind of on their, their foundational 101 checklist of things to be doing right now? One or two things that are really important to kind of shore yourself up right now. Hmm. Documents, uh, things that, you know. Yeah. Um, so the, the first thing is making sure that you and your team feel safe and have um, stabilized your health and living situation so that you can function as a team and that you have what you need. And I know that I wanna know as to my team that they are safe and have what they need because I think that that's first principle. The second thing is to assess where you are and if you already have investors where they are 
in your funding cycle. Um, there's a you know, significant period of uncertainty. People are recalibrating expectations. And if you have just raised capital, you are differently situated than a company that was getting ready to go to market or a company that's 10 months, 12 months away from heading into the market. Um, the people who run venture funds or who are senior at venture funds with whom I've been speaking over the past week or so are doing an analysis where they're sorting into segments all of their portfolio companies and whether they're stack ranking from most impacted to least impacted or whether they're creating three buckets of will benefit from the reshuffling we're undergoing to, you know, it will be neutral to will be uh, seriously adversely affected by it as, you know, a company with a lot of exposure to airlines and hospitality companies would be, for instance. Um, they're doing that stack ranking. So understanding where you are in that process is, I think, important because you have to take stock of your own kind of financial forecast on the cash side um, first and foremost. So th those are the first couple of things that we're uh, suggesting folks look at. And their stack rank ranking, these investors are saying these are the companies that need them, they're triaging and saying these are the companies that need the most support from us or how are they looking at it once they do yeah. that? So, um, so first of all, I, you know, I joined Lowenstein as a summer associate in 1991, which was a recessionary period. And so I've been through a number of these cycles and we started our tech group in 98. So have seen a bunch of down cycles in a down cycle. One of the things that a venture fund will do is they will revisit their allocation of reserves of capital. So if you have a startup that's already got venture backing, that venture fund has over the last week gone through its entire portfolio to make assessments to see who's most at risk and also to see what kind of capital needs they anticipate for their companies because that has just shifted. Um, so, you know, they may have a great company, but that company is going to need money and they want to make sure that they're there for that company. And similarly, they may have a company that they think is not going to make as much sense to continue to fund or to continue to substantially fund. Um, but the venture funds themselves have gone through that analysis and it's not necessarily you know, altruism, and it's not necessarily capitalism, it's making sure that they have an understanding of what's in their portfolio and how they will need to be proactive and reactive to things that are happening inside their different portfolio companies. They are also making sure that certainly the, the good ones are making sure that their founders um, are, you know, safe and stable and have what they need um, as well, but uh, they're assessing their capital needs and, and planning for that.
Yeah, and it just occurred to me that um, a lot of people who listen to this podcast are not necessarily fa- uh, founders. They are fund managers of funds that are, the majority who listen would be funds that are under $100 million. Mm-hmm. And so they also may be newer, you know, in the last three mm-hmm. years or so. So you have, I have been witness to this, you have incredible data points and things like that, and a lot of access to LPs limited partners who invest in funds and their relationships to GPs, the general partners who, who allocate those funds and who um, run funds and firms. What are you seeing there, if anything, so far from LPs? Are they even going higher up the chain when it comes to the capital? Are they saying uh, they're worried? Are they saying this is to be seen? What sort of opinion yeah. are you seeing? Um, so I've been talking to a lot of people about the difference between this experience and the 2008 experience. And one, you know, there are a number of differences, uh, but one thing that has come up is a discussion of the denominator effect. And, you know, one fund manager was saying to me that if you are, if you're under 40, you probably weren't managing employees and capital and risk the last time we had a meaningful downturn, just, you know, from a chronological perspective. And most, there was some stat that's been quoted to me that the overwhelming majority of VCs have not invested through this cycle. What happened in 2008 with the quote unquote denominator effect was that the limited partners who invest in venture funds said, hey, our public market investments have just declined precipitously. And so we are now over allocated to venture as an asset class. We're not going to default on our commitments as LPs, but we're also not interested in new relationships. We're not interested in writing as big a commitment next year for even our existing relationships. And we're assuming that everyone will slow the pace of their fundraise because we used to have, you know, a billion in assets or 10 billion in assets. And we now seem to have 60 or 70% of that. And therefore our uncalled committed capital or just our committed capital um, for venture is too high a percentage relative to our total asset base. And that will have an impact over the coming five years. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what we saw in 08. So I'm I'm certainly hearing that. Um, I do work with a good number of um, micro and nano funds, uh, nano, I don't know, under 10 million in assets in in a given fund, under 20 million. Um, And some of those funds have called capital some have called, a couple have called all remaining uncalled commitments. And that's, you know, kind of unusual. And it's a little panicky. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that in an accusatory way, or even in a judgmental way. It's sort of the equivalent for LPs of a run on the bank. There's a particular cadence that people get used to when you know, you're dealing with capital calls. And if suddenly that cadence really changes, 
it's a sign that the fund manager has some anxiety about whether the capital will be there when the capital call is made. And so they may move from calling 10% of capital um, in a given quarter to calling 20, 30, or in some cases, 50% of capital. And that kind of acceleration is something that you would watch for because if it became more pervasive, that would definitely signal high anxiety in the system. Are you seeing that LPs are, are uh, accepting those calls and, and, and going to that? Are they saying, uh, no, we don't, we don't accept that? I have not seen the um, LPs say, no, um, we don't accept it, but I haven't seen a lot of them and when I have seen them, it's been in funds that are 10 million or less. Um, so it's all relative. It's yeah, their their net worth as an and it's, right, and it's very new. So I don't think that you know we we have enough data. That's why I said it's it's really more something to watch, watch. if the cadence increases and if those quantities start going up. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, this, again, I'm not an expert here at all, but I, as someone who is an LP and several of these nano funds that you're talking mm -hmm. about, just to kind of be that person to help them get off the ground or participating, um, I could see that happening over the next three months or so in that panicky mode because there are some LPs that they feel are not trustworthy enough to, to give them the rest of that time or they feel that, you know, back and forth uh, or they're just panicky. But if you do, if too many of us, too many of those types of funds and too many um, new funds do that, you're just going to simply start having LPs who either cannot afford to do it at that pace because they had it very clearly outlined, or you're going to have people thinking that, uh, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to support the kind of um, jittery first timers out there or second timers out there. And it's, I mean, if you think about it, this is going to sound strange, it's a lot like toilet paper, right? Because yeah. if you go to the supermarket and you say, you know what, I'm going to get a two-week, maybe three-week supply of toilet paper. Okay, I understand that. If you go to the supermarket and you say, I'm going to get a six-month supply of toilet paper, and I realize that if we all did that, no one will have toilet paper, and lots of people will be caught short. It's, it's the same thing, right? So um, there are systemic repercussions if we start panic buying, whether it's toilet paper or capital calls or calling credit lines from banks. And so there's a tension between wanting to moderate and wanting to make sure that you're not the one caught short. Yeah, yeah. Um... Do you have a, I mean, you can't predict this. And I, we're even talking about this, I'm thinking, wow, we're only, we're like two or three weeks into this. I mean, this is so early, but you're starting to see some things. Going back to founders, uh, and I think it's important for the founders to listen to that because they need to really stay on top of how the money flows down to them or flows over mm -hmm. to them. Um, and so going back to founders, Let's say you're a founder who um, doesn't have investment dollars. This isn't who you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, but you can probably imagine. Like they don't have investment dollars, but they're they're kind of more like mom, mom and pop shops, or they're they have a website. Maybe they're doing six figures on their own, and so they don't mm -hmm. want an investor. Um, 
do you think at this point, just by the information you have and the people you've talked to, the data points you have, that to that right now is the time to be an abundance mindset to figure out ways to bring in cash flow, or, or do you think people should be really hunkering down, uh, finding ways not to, to you know, is this for a long haul here? If it were you, what would you, what would you, or your, yeah. your child, what would you be telling them? Um, so we do work with. Uh, founders before they get capital. We work with plenty that come to us after they already have capital. But um, when we're, you know, counseling as, as lawyers, uh, those founders um, right now, I think it's a tough time to start new relationships with investors. Investors like to meet people before they invest. Um, And so working existing network is important that has ramifications especially for diverse and socially mobile um, folks because investors are often out of network so that's an unfortunate um, sort of uh, oppositional force against diverse founders right now Um, I also think that, yes, conserving cash is important, but it very much depends on which segment you're in. Are you in a segment that is going to benefit from the current public health crisis and sort of the new order, or are you in a segment that's going to really be hit by it? Um, I was just on a call with clients who are seeing a 5x ramp up in the business that they're doing because of the nature of that business and it is you know they sell stuff that folks are going to need at this particular time and that should actually be pretty sustainable Um, so they have to make a decision about how much capital to invest and to push at that problem or whether they cut back on ordering. In other situations, you know, we're talking about companies that are reforecasting um, downward revenue projections by 30 or even 50% as a planning tool because there is still uncertainty. So I think how long it takes is going to have a real impact and whether we can get our arms around this, whether China and South Korea are models to look at where after about two months of containment strategy, you're seeing a bounce back in demand and supply chain, um, you know, that, that would be a really helpful guide. I don't believe that the federal government in America has responded as efficiently, effectively, and honestly as uh, they did in China and South Korea. And I think that is going to cause a deeper problem for us and a more um, sustained problem for us, which is, I think, cause for concern when you're trying to cash plan. Um, to close things out and to kind of go in that direction, right now there's a stimulus package, I guess it's what it's called right now, that's being banty back and forth. Um, and I, I 
they're going to come to some conclusion probably by Monday, hopefully. But no matter which one or which side gets their way, it, there seems to be um, a lot of capital that could be coming, a lot of help that could be coming to small businesses by way of SBA loans and by really um, intricate things. And even um, Marco Rubio, who I, I don't enjoy, um, even he had some ideas about uh, uh, getting getting more funding to people now, and on top of the 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 thousand, two thousand, whatever dollars that's going to come directly to some people, uh, or may come to them. What um, advice or any insight or any kind of observation do you have on those SBA loans? Should be I know there's one for coronavirus itself. Do, mm -hmm. do you see people? Should we be all just signing up for those? I know Cuban, Mark Cuban, who I work with, he got on Twitter and immediately said everybody who can get get this uh, application out is that what we should be doing in your opinion I, I think you need to take a look and see whether it makes whether it is relevant to you i think if we have people flooding the um, applicant pool when they are clearly out of scope for stuff that's not a great use of their time and it slows it down for people who really um, are supposed to benefit from it. So I'm hopeful that our government will up level and provide some sort of effective response. We're certainly getting a bunch of questions about um, SBA loans and about other uh, programmatic help that can be provided. Um, I think it's good that they've delayed tax filings. Uh, the New York courts have um, also announced systemic delays. Uh, and, and I think those things are going to be helpful. But I also know that there will be significant psychological implications and that people will be managing money and managing reactions based on walking down a street of closed shops that are usually teeming with people and customers and that that will have an impact. So the government has to move quickly here. And I also think that we need to get legitimate, honest information from our government and that's unfortunately been a little more of a challenge than it should be. Yeah. I want to thank you, Ed. Um, can I call on you again as this kind of develops and, and please do. Okay. You're, you're wonderful. I think uh, you've helped me in so many different situations and it's that's just kind mainly of understanding things, you know, and uh, I think this is going to be very helpful. If people want to keep up with you online, what are a couple of places they should be looking at? Um, so they can certainly follow me on Twitter at Ed Grape Nut Zim, uh, with two M's. Um, Ed, Ed, Ed Grape Nut Zim. Yes. Um, and uh, I do write at Forbes. And so there's a contributor page there. Uh, I will be publishing something on this topic in the next 24 hours or so. And also at my Lowenstein, L-O-W-E-N-S-T-E-I-N.com uh, website uh, bio page. We're 360 lawyers, but alphabetically I'm way at the end. So <laughs> easy, to, easy to find me there. 
All right. Thank you. Thank so you much. for all you do, Arlen. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Ed Zimmerman at Lowenstein. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hi, everyone. It's Arlen again. Um, I just wanted to say th- thank you to uh, Anchor for featuring this podcast, Your First Million, on their app. It's such a wonderful surprise and, and uh, honor. And so there are a lot of new listeners right now I know have come in the last few days. I want to say welcome to you all. I also want to let you know that you can find more information about me and uh, past episodes at itsaboutdamntime.com. It's About Damn Time is the name of my new book that's coming out soon. You can pre-order it on that website. You can also find out all sorts of information about who I am, what I do, and uh, learn f- about the other episodes if you're interested. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Arlen Was Here. That is A R L A N Was Here on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I just am so grateful to you for listening, and I hope you're enjoying this episode uh, with Ed Zimmerman and now Amy Nelson. Hey, Amy. Hey, Arlen. All right, let me just make sure I have everything set. This is new. This is a new way of doing this, but I've, uh, you're my second interview like this. All right. Yes. How are you doing, Amy? Oh, I mean, how are we all doing? This mm-hmm. is, you know, this is a very heavy time. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I'm scared for people and my family and my teammates and yeah, it's just, it's, uh, and it just feels like we don't know what will happen tomorrow or next week or next month. Yes. So tell everybody your name, what you do, where you live. My name is Amy Nelson. I am the CEO and the founder of The Riveter. And we are a a membership network built by and for women with in real life spaces and a digital network. Uh, And I live in Seattle. And you have four daughters. I do. I have have a husband. Well, we'll mention him too. We have a husband. I have a husband, four daughters, and a girl dog. Um, so my daughters are five, almost four, two, and nine months. Okay, I'm going to ask you a personal question. Mm-hmm. Are you human? <laughs> are you a superhero from the Marvel or DC network? You know what? I'm feeling a lot more human than I ever have lately. Um, yes. I am very human. I am very human. Four daughters, five and under, and a girl dog and husband. Um, is anyone else, I mean, do you, you're all like at home in Seattle at one of the most affected states in the country. Yeah. I wanted to have you on, you know, we're, we're good friends. We've um, known each other for a little while now and um, uh, work, work in business too. And I just kind of wanted to talk to you about two things. One is about your company and, and how things are, how you're affected, how the company's affected and how, you know, what you think about uh, uh, on a daily basis these days. And then also there are a lot of people who are working at home now and Mm -hmm. a lot of those people, and I can relate to a lot of them who are just kind of figuring out themselves, (laughs) just like, how do I manage with roommates or do it with my spouse or with myself? But you're dealing with what a lot of people are dealing with, which is we have kids at home. Yeah. 
And um, I've seen so many like memes and things out there the last couple of days where people are like, pay teachers as much as you can. Uh, I will never say anything bad about uh, a stay-at-home mom again or say anything that disparaging. How is it, how does it feel like to have the kids at home? How are they dealing with it? So, you know, two of my kids were in school all day. One was in school for three hours a day and then the baby obviously wasn't in any program. Um, And I think the kids have adjusted pretty well to being home. Um, They miss their friends a lot and they're happy that they get to have, you know, because they're so little, online school is almost impossible, but the school is doing like a little bit of circle time every morning and the kids enjoy getting to do that. But, you know, I think they're also like, what's happening? And we try to explain to them, but it's really hard to explain to toddlers something that you're having trouble comprehending. Mm -hmm. Um, And we don't want them to be irrationally scared. I think it's okay that they understand there's a virus and that's making people sick. And so we have to stay home so we don't get sick, but I don't want them to worry about themselves getting sick. You know, that's not really appropriate for them, but it's, I mean, but it's just been like this massive change. Like this was not what I planned for 2020 on any level. And it happened. I keep thinking, you know, Seattle is, I think probably 10 to 14 days ahead of the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. And just because it hit here first. Um, And it's really interesting because it was like this like slow moving train and then it got very fast, if that makes sense. It was like something was changing and then it changed on a dime and we were all home. And that's the right thing to do and the necessary thing to do. But it's also like, it's just really hard. Like it's really hard to process your world being turned upside down in every single way from your children losing all of the structure that they had to you know, the, my, my, I, you know, my, my business is largely in real life. And so to have me distanced from my team and then also to have the Riveter locations go unstaffed and mostly empty, it's just been, it's been wild. Before we go into further there, um, and by the way, I've been um, at home. I haven't even gotten to the lobby of my home for I think I'm on 17 days so I've lost some vocabulary <laughs> I've noticed I you. It, it, uh, it happens <laughs> sorry if I sound simple um but that's what's going on um but tell me when you see because you like you just said you all you were part of the, the state that was hit first and the most so far or kind of going back and forth with New York when you see video or photographs of people still hanging out um, in droves across the country, especially in, in cities and states that have been told not to, and there are some states that haven't been told not to yet, but when you see that, I know, what kind of, what's conjured up when you see those images, knowing that you all were there two weeks ago? Yeah, I mean, I preface it with saying, like, I think it's in- super necessary for essential businesses to be open and for people to have access to those. Um, but uh, to see, I mean, I was, I read a tweet today from a woman I know in Seattle who lives in an apartment building where someone had a party last night. Oh, so it's still happening here. And when I hear about that or see it, it's devastating and I'm angry. Um, you know, my father just started dialysis last month and he's in Ohio and like, he will die if he gets this. And mm-hmm. so, well, you know, so well, someone each of us know, right? And that's the, yes. the each of us love. 
everyone in this country is a real human being with family and friends and a life and everyone deserves to live and we deserve the best shot at it. And so everyone needs to just stay home. Why do you think people are, I mean, there's probably more than one answer, but why do you think people are still doing it? Defiance? Is it ignorance? Is it, is, what is it? I think we've gotten mixed messages for a long time from people in power about what this is. And so I think the, I'm really grateful for our state governments right now. And for so many governors from Mike DeWine in Ohio to Governor Inslee here in Washington taking really fast and swift steps. Um, But I think there were a lot of mixed messages, both from the media, from the government. And so it's really hard, you know, I think now the media and the the federal government are now and, you know, everyone's in line, but it's really hard to get everybody else in line when you were giving them mixed messages for a long time. That's why um, it's really important for people in power to be consistent and to put people's health first. Yeah. So going back to, let's go a little bit more to the kids. So how are you feeling? So we know how they're doing. I'm so tired. (laughs) I I bet. Were you not before? Like, I will say like, okay, all of my family is healthy and I'm beyond grateful for that. And I will say to me that the saving grace of this is that so few kids have gotten sick because if kids were getting really sick, it would lead me to this whole other level of anxiety and panic because I have little children. Um, at the same time, like we're abiding by everything and we're, I haven't left my house. This is day nine. Um, and before that I was barely leaving, but, um, uh, my kid, I, I, there's a certain, um, joy to being able to see my kids more during the day than I ever have. And so there's a lot to that. Like I can kiss my baby and put her down for her naps. I can take my kids for a walk in the middle of the day. Um, I'm making them eggs every morning for breakfast and I'm usually here for breakfast and we usually have family breakfast, but I'm usually hurried and rushed. And now I'm like, Oh my God, it takes five minutes to make eggs. Why am I not making my kids eggs every morning? Um, but you know, and I think there's, there's something real to that. And I think there's something that I need to think about a lot from this period of time of like, how much do I really need to travel? How, what do I need to be like? What, what is the integration of work and life that I need and can live with and can, where everything can be successful. And there's going to be a recalibration for me because this is a change and it's gonna shed light on how I live my life in general. Um, And wow, like on the weekends, we don't have any childcare. We're grateful to have childcare during the week still, which we're very, very lucky for right now because Washington doesn't have a shelter in place and we've worked out a system with one of our family teammates um, that we're we're all comfortable with right now. Because if we didn't have childcare, and my husband's also an entrepreneur, I don't know if you know that Arlen, because he was an Amazon and then he went out on his own last year. Mm-hmm. Like, and this is our livelihood. And I also just took my salary to zero. But anyway, like we have to have, we, you cannot work with four kids under six, like around, it's impossible. Yeah. Uh, so we are just kind of hoping, I mean, right now we're kind of on a hope and a prayer that um, we can keep our current situation, but there's the joy of seeing my kids more. There's the fear of, how long this lasts and it needs to let, we need to stay as home as long as, as long as we need to. And I, I know that, but you know, it's just like, again, it's just like, sometimes the word I can use is wild because I just don't, it's really hard. It happened really fast. So there's this, there's this trauma to it, I think is, is what I'm hearing and, and observing yeah. from people is there. It happened so fast that you didn't even yeah. have a chance to catch your breath. And then I keep getting mad at myself because I'm like, this didn't happen fast. Like we've known what happened in Wuhan for three months. Like where was my mind? Where was my brain? And I was worried about what was happening in Wuhan and devastated for Wuhan and the surrounding regions in China, you know, like, and it's like, why didn't I plan more? 
you know, but then like, what could you have planned for? Yeah, like, you're not an expert. Like, yeah. And the and the team that was put in place to give us the expert uh, direction was dismantled months ahead of this. So I don't know if it's so much, I mean, you to blame for not knowing what to do with a pandemic on the horizon. <laughs> I think we should have been given a lot more direction, a lot more clear direction. And to this day, we should not be told that there's a ma magical fairyland of, um, of possibilities where there are not, you know, um, from the government, from direct, directly where we're supposed to get the best information. And I, I just, I'm so grateful to people like Dr. Fauci who are, I mean, not only, not only giving us the real information and sound and science information, scientific information, but putting his own life in danger every single time, uh, putting his sanity in danger by standing next to Donald Trump um, and just being um, a real one, you know? And so there's so many people behind the scenes that are giving us the real information. Going back now, to your company, I know there are so many people listening who either own a company, work at a startup that has few employees, or maybe works at you know work at big startups and have had some sort of tumult. Uh, uh, tumult. I don't know the word in, anymore mm -hmm. in my in their lives. Um, what do you think? What what happens? You know the the first kind of days that we start thinking, okay, something is happening. Well, how yeah. do, as leaders, how do we, what happens in those first few days? Can you talk about? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, we've, we've felt it here, right? Like it's two weeks ago in the first week that we kind of, it wasn't an order to stay home, but people started staying home a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And in that first week, over 70 restaurants closed in Seattle in a week. And I remember lifting my head up and thinking, wow, this is going to be a lot worse than I had imagined. And you know, I worked on Wall Street during the 07, 08 financial crisis. Um, and I watched a lot of devastation, but it was really different because there was, you know, there were structural flaws with our economy. This is unlike anything we've ever seen. And I think, you know, I realized pretty quickly that the one thing that I needed to do was to actually lead, was to think about the different stakeholders that I have to deal with as a venture-backed entrepreneur. And that is my first, my team. Um, my community of members, my, my, my customers, we call them members, um, and my investors. And those different stakeholders need different things. And I had to figure out what to do pretty quickly. And ultimately, um, you know, we had our revenue streams impacted immediately because we have events, we have, you know, we, have, we were due to have a big activation at South by Southwest. You know, Arlen, you and I were gonna see each other in Austin. Yeah. Um, we uh, and our members, a lot of them can't come into the workspace right now. Um, and so I had to make really quick decisions because my goal is that the Riveter survives this. And we can um, if we manage our cash flow and we make short term decisions for long term preservation. Those decisions have been really painful. I've sent you a lot of late night texts, Arlen, because it's been a really hard week. Um, yeah. We had to put all, a lot of our staff on standby um, as the spaces went unstaffed. And you know, it's really hard being a business owner. Um, I'm not gonna cry, like what are they called, alligator tears, because the hardest hit are the people that I put on standby, my teammates who have helped me build this company. Um, 
but it's, it's just really hard. But I, you know, my, my goal is that there's a job for them to come back to and a community for them to come back to and that the people that we serve have the Riveter for forever. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it's, it's leading and acting in the most humane way that you can. Um, and that's what we're doing. Yeah. Where do you think, because we don't really plan for this, we've planned for a lot of things, but we don't really plan for this. I've had a similar um, situation the last week, uh, week and a half. Where do you think it comes from, our ability to handle it? I mean, I think if, you, if you're the type of person who has what I think is, you know, kind of the creativity and the courage to step out and leave a salary job to start a company, um, I think that you have a reserve in you to adapt, to innovate, to go to the mat for what you believe in. Um, and so I think that's a big part of it. I also think like, you know, the Riveter is two and a, a little bit over two and a half years old. And I fully believe that over the last two and a half years, the reason we've had success is because everyone on my team, including me, uh, keeps going. Mm -hmm. On the weekends, late at night, when things are impossibly hard, we just keep moving. And this is another stage in that you just have to keep moving. I mean, there have been a lot of times over the past two weeks where in my head I've said, I feel frozen. I feel completely frozen. I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to do what I know what I have to do once I made decisions. Um, but I knew that I had to keep moving. And I think everyone on my team um, is in the same boat. Mm -hmm. keep. It's one of, I, I used to not like this term because people would say it to me, especially around so, being sober. They would say yeah. one day at a time. Yeah. And I actually, they're, they're very nice about it, but I really didn't like it because I'm like, yeah, it's one day at a time, but it's harder than that, you know? Yeah. Actually, yeah. what is helping me is saving me right now is one day at a time. Mm -hmm. Because we don't know how long this is going to last or what the impact will ultimately be. But if I know that in a, if I can get from waking up in the morning, mm -hmm. celebrating that, to going to sleep and celebrating being able to fall asleep, Yep. If I can do that over and over again, I can make it and I can be there for other people. And that's what's getting me through right now. I am right there with you. I mean, I woke up this morning at six and you know, my kids go to bed at 7 p.m. And then I have to do some work because like, I need to send my investors an update. Um, but I woke up at six and I was like, okay, you can, you can do today. Mm -hmm. You can do this day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can do this day with a lot of feelings and a lot of hurt and a lot of fear, but I can still do it. Yeah. Amy, I want people to be able to find you um, if they want to learn more about you or listen to you, uh, as you as you deal with all of this. Where is the best place or best couple of places they can find your work? Yeah. So the Riveter uh, launched a digital platform at the beginning of March. Um, and you can find that through our website, www.theriveter.co. And we have a lot of programming, a lot of conversations, and a lot of, I mean, most importantly, a lot of community um, mm -hmm. for working women and allies. Um, and then I am on Instagram and Twitter at Amy underscore Riveter. And did you say it's theriveter.co or riveter.co? Theriveter.co. Okay. So if you are uh, a woman or an ally and or ally and you want to be part of a community because a lot of people are going to need that right now, yeah. you can go yeah. to that website and then find you on Instagram. Uh, at Amy underscore Riveter. Great. 
Great. And Riveter is not your last name, right? <laughs> it's not. My name is Amy Nelson. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's really interesting. I keep thinking about Rosie the Riveter right now because I named this company for that kind of iconic American woman from World War II when the government asked women to go into the workforce to build the ships and the machines. And, um, and they did and by the millions. And I keep thinking, like, how does America come together now? Because we're in a great time of need. And so I think that's what we should all be asking ourselves. Mm, that's a perfect place to end this, Amy. I really yeah. appreciate it. And uh, we'll, we'll be talking again, I'm sure, today and beyond. <laughs> uh, so thanks for being there for me. And I'll stay there for you. Thanks for being there for me. It means the world. Bye, Amy. Bye.